0: This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Women's Leadership Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Tiffany Benjamin, CEO of Humana Foundation. Tiffany, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Oh, thanks for having me, Laura. I'm really excited. Now, I know we have a lot to talk about. There's so much happening in healthcare and especially elevating women's leadership. But before we dive into my questions, can you tell me a little bit more about yourself and your background?
1: Sure. So I've been the CEO of the Humana Foundation for about a year now. Um, but really my journey towards philanthropy started with my mom. Um, I was raised by a single mom in West Lafayette, Indiana, um, and she was a telephone operator when I was a kid, and then when that was a thing, (laughs) and then she went back to school to become a social worker, and so from the very beginning of my life, I remember going with her to her internships, whether it was serving HIV AIDS patients, or serving seniors at a local nursing home, and really just being steeped in service. So I just knew from really the start that I would do something where I was serving communities and helping people. And I knew from the start, I would do something in healthcare because of my mom and because I could see how powerful it is to really serve the needs of people who are struggling and really make sure people are seen. Um, so after college, I went to law school And then I practiced law for a few years and then I went to Capitol Hill and I worked for the house energy and commerce committee, really exciting time there. I got to help pass the affordable care act um, and learn a lot about healthcare policy. Uh, And then I moved home to Indiana uh, where I was a lawyer for a little while. And then I served as the head of the Eli Lilly and company foundation um, before moving over to lead the Humana foundation. And really, frankly, my love of community, my interest in healthcare Um, And really just seeing my mom and what she brought in terms of understanding how important it is to meet people where they're at really is the thing that inspired me to get involved in philanthropy and to lead the Humana Foundation where we're really focused on how do we make communities healthier and how do we serve populations who are struggling.
0: That's amazing, Tiffany. And, you know, what a great inspiration it sounds like your mom was. I know as the daughter of a social worker myself, they certainly have Ah. very special hearts. And, uh, you know, serving the community is such an important thing and especially connecting with those who, you know, need the services most. It's just so important. So I'm so glad you mentioned your mom and being inspired by her, because I can certainly relate to having those types of experiences um, along the way myself as well.
1: I love it. I think uh, social workers are are special people. And really, the fact that they give so much
0: of themselves, I think it makes us as their
1: children very focused on what we're going to give to the rest of the world. So I love it. We're kindred spirits.
0: For sure, for sure, which is fantastic. And, you know, I'm so excited to learn more about what you're doing as well at Humana Foundation. And especially, as you mentioned, you know, during the times we're in right now and healthcare is just a lot of challenges um, in that space. So what are some of the issues that you're spending most of your time on today?
1: Yeah, I think uh, we spend a lot of time thinking about health equity, right? It's a critical issue. And we've known for a long time that there are challenges for people, barriers to health, um, particularly for marginalized individuals and underserved communities. But I think what we really saw with COVID-19 is that it really laid bare all of these inequities within health, right? For Black and Hispanic Americans, they were twice as likely to be hospitalized as their white counterparts or die of COVID-19. And so we really just saw all of these significant disparities around what was happening for people in black and brown communities, what was happening for underserved populations. And so we made a decision that we would focus deeply in the space of health equity, making sure everybody can live their healthiest life, making sure that we're lifting up people whose voices may not be heard through the healthcare experience or through the health experience. Uh, one of the places we really, really delved into that was our work with the Center for Disaster Philanthropy. I'm a huge fan of the Center for Di- Disaster Philanthropy. I should also acknowledge that I'm on their board. Um, And we worked with them to release COVID-19 response grants um, and fund vulnerable populations in a lot of different places. So for example, in Louisiana, we supported an organization called Crescent Care, which helped black residents in areas that had high fatality rates from COVID to learn how to access and use telehealth and testing services, and also how to enroll in Medicaid. Uh, We also worked with an organization called Grace at the Greenlight to meet the basic needs of unsheltered homeless people and, 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 and really teach them about infection prevention. So we did that during COVID, and what that meant is we couldn't ignore what we saw. We knew that there were differences in the experiences people were having, and so equity really became our core. So I spend all of my time these days thinking about how do we make sure everyone has access to health, How do we make sure everybody has the opportunity to live their healthiest life? And how are we making sure that people aren't being treated differently within their health experience?
0: got it that's really amazing to hear and definitely a lot of work to be done along those lines so awesome that you were able to reach so many people during the pandemic and hopefully that will be behind us at some point in the near future uh in what ways is the foundation really addressing some of those long-standing ongoing issues of health equity that were happening before the pandemic and then you know are continuing to be a challenge for many populations across the country
1: Yeah, I think in COVID, we had this great moment where we all really got that we have to respond and we have to act. It's a special moment for people in philanthropy. Um, The way we were able to work together to respond to the crisis was very powerful and the way we were able to come together. But responding is a really important part, but it is not enough, right? If you wanna do work to really impact equity, if you wanna change things that have existed the same way for a really long time, you have to think about structural and systemic barriers to health equity. And so what that means for us is that we're trying to figure out how do we commit to long-term solutions to frankly long-term problems, right? So for us as a foundation, we've existed for a little over 40 years. We just finished our 40th anniversary year last year. Um, And so we have been investing in community for quite a while. And we're also connected to a leading healthcare organization with Humana Inc. Uh, which is also focused on addressing and recognizing the needs of underserved as it relates to health and thinking about the socioeconomic causes of poor health. And so what we've got is this longstanding history and a special relationship that makes sure that we can really look at work all over the country that impacts underserved communities. So one of our health initiatives led to an ongoing investment in 20 communities across the U.S to improve health equity for marginalized populations. And we did that through really strong partnerships with nonprofits. So for example, from some of our partnerships in 2020 and 2021, over 1.6 million meals were served to 94,000 at-risk individuals. We funded numerous access points for purchasing affordable fresh food in food deserts and providing free nutrition and food benefit education programs Uh, to nonprofits and community members, and then we supported urban farms, local farms and community gardens, because if you're going to talk about food and nutrition, giving people access and the tools to really be able to own their own nutrition is really, really important. Um, We made, uh, as Humana, a $25 million investment to increase the supply of affordable housing uh, in partnership with a legal services organization in Louisiana. Uh, And we did some work with Volunteers of America here in Kentucky to offer recovery beds to mothers overcoming substance use disorder. So what we did is we looked at all of these different populations who have been struggling, and we said, how can we help? But more importantly, how can we support nonprofits that are doing extraordinary work on the ground, who really know the needs of those communities, and listen to those organizations to figure out, What's the real challenge? What are they really struggling with and how we as a foundation can uplift them using both the resources of the Humana Foundation, but also the knowledge and know-how that comes from Humana Inc.
0: That's amazing and so impressive to think about all the work that you've done here, mentioning, uh, you know, food access and access to housing and those types of things, recovery beds, and just really supporting communities in in the unique ways that they need it. Now, are there any of these or or other issues that you're particularly passionate about?
1: So I'm lucky I get to do equity work. I am particularly passionate about what I can do to serve underserved communities um, as someone who's African-American who was raised with not a lot of money, I, I do appreciate parts of uh, the struggling um, challenges that come from being underserved and being a member of a community of color. And so for me, I think it's really important to acknowledge these equity issues. And so I really care very much about that work. And the place where it matters And where I really have delved deeply into thinking about how we can make change and address communities of color and underserved communities is disaster relief. I'm really passionate about how we respond when there's a crisis. Um, And frankly, because of what we're seeing in terms of climate change and other environmental weather events, we're just seeing more and more need for disaster relief and recovery. And when you think about disaster relief, you've got preparation, response, and recovery. And oftentimes we talk about, like, what do we do immediately after? How do we get water to people? Um, But when we look at communities, what happens is that's an important point in time, but it takes a lot of time to rebuild homes, to rebuild safety, uh, to rebuild trust in communities. And so that recovery work of staying the course for a really long time is hyper important. And for me, really, The preparation part is important, too, because honestly, disaster preparation work is infrastructure work, right? If your home is solid, then if a storm comes, you'll be okay. If it's not, then you're at a higher risk of being impacted by that storm. And so we have to invest in all the different components. Um, Recovery is really, really, really one of the key parts for us. Um, Most disaster funding is completed within two months of when the disaster happens. But think about rebuilding your home. I wish you could rebuild a home in two months, but you can't. Um, And so when we look at it, we know that these communities who are most impacted by disasters are the ones that have endured economic, racial and health inequities before it hit. And so we have to invest in long-term preparation so that people are less at risk of being impacted. But frankly, when a disaster does strike and something often happens, we have to say, we're gonna be here to respond immediately But we're not leaving. For us, we've done a lot of work in this space. We responded to Hurricane Ian by donating $1 million, so nonprofits addressing it. Um, And we had um, floods in Kentucky earlier this last year, and we gave $500,000 to support community organizations there. And we had tornadoes in Kentucky just a year ago, and we gave $500,000 to support those organizations. And what was important to us is we gave that money, we gave the community flexibility to figure out how they needed to use it over an extended period of time. And then we went back to those communities and we intend to do that to say, are there other ways that our funding can support? How else can we help? How can we provide thought leadership, energy? Just how can we listen to the community and make sure we're doing a good job of valuing their needs? So I think it's important to come back. I think it's it's important to focus on rebuilding And I think it's important to get to the root causes of what actually made people at a point where a storm could be so devastating so that we can hopefully allow everybody to have the opportunity to live in a home that's stable. So even if these events do happen, they're protected, they're safe, and the impact is relatively minimal.
0: That really makes a lot of sense, and you know, it's so interesting to hear about your experiences uh, doing some of that philanthropy work and really with that disaster recovery, which is so important and affects all parts of the United States. Now, when you think about what you've learned over time, what are some of the most effective ways philanthropy can assist in that those rebuilding efforts following a disaster?
1: Yeah, I think the best thing about philanthropy is we can be in it for the long term, right? Um, We can react quickly. Uh, Oftentimes we can we can get funds dispersed within a matter of minutes. And I think that's really impactful when you're just trying to survive a crisis, making sure people have food and water and shelter. That is a great part about philanthropy. But the other great part is that when we look at recovery, I can look at recovery over one year. I can look at recovery over five years. I can look at recovery over 10 years. And philanthropy and its ability to stick around and stay with the community and build long-lasting relationships with community partners, I think is something that's extra special. Now, the most valuable part of that is really what we can do to serve community. And so for us at the Humana Foundation and for me personally, it means that listening always comes first. I have this real understanding that the people closest to the pain are the ones who know the most about the solutions. And so listening and working in partnership with community is vital. It's core to what we do. And we have to really, really understand that not only do we have to build a sufficient medical infrastructure, but we have to ensure that people have access to affordable and healthy food, that they have affordable housing, and that they have educational and work opportunities, and that they have transportation. Frankly, once we give people really, really good infrastructure, we can allow them to really weather the course, no pun intended, and make sure that they have what they need to be protected. For us at the foundation, I think another thing that we really are proud of and that we think is important for philanthropy is oftentimes in disaster, we talk about the need to give you a house, which is super important, and food and water. But for people who've been through a disaster, there's real trauma they've lost things that matter to them. They sometimes have lost people who matter to them. And so the mental health components of talking about disaster response and recovery are really, really important. And so not only can we be there with our funds or the energy of Humana Associates around us to help volunteer in response to a crisis, but we really do view ourselves as being there to listen, to advocate for people, to make sure that we are giving voice to people who are impacted not just in terms of what their physical needs but what their emotional needs are Um, we just think that's really really important and what we really like is that we can share that with leaders but we can share with other people working in this space working closely with other funders the power of philanthropy is that we can collaborate we can collaborate with other found funders, we can collaborate with governments, we can collaborate with community organizations, and we can do it in the
0: long run. That's really amazing to hear and, you know, such, so fortunate that you've got that foundation to be able to support these communities going through the disaster relief in so many different ways and for the long term, too. Now, uh, thinking of the future, how are you thinking about investments and growth and development over the next two years or so in particular?
1: Yeah, we have strategized. We are going to continue to focus on health equity, but I think one of the most important things COVID taught us is that we're going to have to be flexible, right? And so we learned in COVID that what you could plan your year for may not be what you end up supporting, or that a nonprofit that does one thing might turn out to be really good at something totally different when crisis strikes. And so I think one of the things that's really important as we build our investments long term and we think about these things is we focus on the issues we focus on, but we also allow flexibility to adapt to external climates. Right. Um, We think it's really important to think about the fact that partnership is key. So philanthropy cannot solve any of the problems that we're talking about alone. Um, these are problems that are, belong to our entire society. That means business needs to get involved, government needs to get involved, and individual people need to get involved. And so philanthropy is just one of many tools that exist in the ecosystem that can help address these problems. I'm also acutely aware that corporate philanthropy is really just 4 to 5% of giving in the U.S. And so our foundation is just a percentage of that. And so if we really wanna make an impact, if we really want our investments to count, count, we have to collaborate. We have to partner with other people and we have to have people who have a perspective on housing we might not have or have a perspective on workforce we might not have because we know a lot about the health space. Uh, one of the things we also are really thinking about in terms of investment is research and evidence-based solutions. We're extremely proud that last year in 2022, along with Humana Company and the University of Louisville, uh, we launched the University of Louisville Health Equity Innovation Hub, which is an organization that's focused on testing and creating evidence-based, scalable, and financially sustainable solutions to close health equity gaps and to improve health outcomes and the quality of life for vulnerable and marginalized populations. So we, we kind of built this center of excellence model where business and academia and philanthropy and community can talk together about addressing health equity solutions right here in our headquarter town of Louisville. Uh, we also really thought about things around trauma that we're seeing as a result of COVID and other trends that we're seeing. We've noticed um, from data that there's been an uptick in suicides for adult male, black males, um, and we've seen this uptick in suicides for black and brown males. Um, we've seen an increase in suicides for veterans over the last few years. Um, we've seen um, significant issues with food insecurity, in particular with the senior population. Um, and then we've seen some real challenges with people uh, addressing chronic conditions and the impact nutrition has on people's health. And because of those types of challenges around emotional health and nutrition and food insecurity those are the things we're thinking about how do we help make sure that seniors don't feel alone how do we make sure that high schoolers don't feel isolated how do we make sure that people who are seeking health care dealing with substance use disorder or something else feel supported and are allowed to connect to their families how are we thinking about providing people access to nutritious food And making sure that we appreciate that they have enough so that they can survive, thrive, and really live the lives they want to live.
0: That is a huge undertaking, but definitely, you know, a, a really important aspect of looking to the future and making sure that everyone has access to the resources they need, as you mentioned, to live a fulfilling life. Now, before we wrap up our conversation, what are you most excited about right now?
1: Yeah, I love where philanthropy is going. Um, It's a really exciting time in philanthropy. What we're seeing is a lot more openness to collaboration, a lot more willingness to support and help, but also stay in it for the long run, right? I think we're seeing less and less of sort of shorter, short bursts, and really people in philanthropy, including us, thinking about what are we going to do to address structural and systemic root causes, right? So if we're seeing that across the board, I'm really excited that the Humana Foundation is really focused on looking at structural and systemic barriers to healthcare and health and what we can do to actually move the needle on those barriers, but also to figure out what's the real cause, right? So I'm super excited about that. Um, I'm also super excited to see that grant makers are being really creative about the fact that they can move faster. (laughs) Um, We can stay in it for the long run, Um, But we also don't have to be last. We can help pilot new and innovative solutions, um, and we can give uh, nonprofits who are doing work on the ground more voice in what we fund in terms of saying, what do you as a nonprofit need? How can we support what you're seeing on the ground? And so I'm really excited about the fact that philanthropy, I think, is becoming much more collaborative And as it becomes much more collaborative, I think it's actually becoming much more inclusive. And that's really exciting for me um, to see that as we support all types of organizations, there are more organizations that are being led by uh, people from communities of color, but we're also a lot of organizations serving communities of color. And I think their voices are being elevated through philanthropy, which may not have happened historically. So I think, honestly, the really cool thing about where philanthropy is going is that it's becoming much, much more community centered where we have a table and everybody is invited to that table. And we're allowing people to share their lived experience and allow that to really drive what we support and what we give. Um, I am really grateful to work in healthcare and really grateful to work in philanthropy focused on health inequities. And I think this is a great moment to say, we're in it for the long haul. We're gonna invest in really changing people's lives in a way that matters to them and understand that that is not a five minute solution. That is something where we're going to invest and come back and come back. You know, I was at a, a community event just last night um, and I ran into a woman who had built up a small grassroots organization Uh, And we actually had talked about six months ago at another community event. Um, And she'd come up to me then and said, I just don't know how I can get people to listen to me, to tell them what they need to hear about what is happening in my community. And I said, well, I'll listen to you. Um, So I listened to her and we talked and I was able to connect her with other people and help her think about the work that she's doing. And so when I saw her last night, just six months later, she said, Thank you because you gave me the confidence to do this work and know that there was space for me at the table where people are having conversations about the future of my community. And so if that's what philanthropy can do, I couldn't be more excited about it. If it's giving people voice, then we've done what we're supposed to do and we've done it the right way.
0: Tiffany, that's an amazing story and how inspiring to really think about the difference that you can make, especially through philanthropy. It's been such a pleasure speaking with you. Your passion for your work definitely comes through and I look forward to connecting with you again in the future.
1: That sounds great. I've really enjoyed being here. So thank you so much.